This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. For over 75 years, Ozark Christian College has been preparing students for ministry. Ozark's 15,000 alumni are serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world, carrying the gospel to every part of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. For more on Ozark's residential and online degrees, visit OCC.edu. Welcome to The Homilist. I'm your host, Jared Ellis. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. I hope that you find these conversations to be a source of encouragement, education, and even entertainment. If you want to dive a little deeper into The Homilist podcast and get your hands on some exclusive content, check out thehomilist.com. This week's guest inspires me, not only because he is a humble guy, but also because his preaching style is so incredibly moving. This is the teaching pastor at Academy Christian Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Dave Erickson. Well, welcome to The Homilist. Appreciate Thank you. you. Yeah, appreciate you doing it. Let's talk about the most important thing first. Okay. Uh, so you have a motorcycle. <laughs> I do. I have a uh, 2012 Harley Street Glide. Nice uh, red, red bike. 2012, you say? Yes. Street Glide. Mm-hmm. I got to write this down. I'm going to talk to my buddy here in a little bit, the guy that I ride bikes with. Okay. Yeah, he'll be thrilled. He'll be thrilled. So what are you riding, Jared? I'm riding a uh, 2008 Harley Sportster, a little okay. 883. Um, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just a little guy. So being five foot six, get me on anything bigger. I look like the, a, the Sportster will work very well for you. That's good. Does, does just fine. Does mm-hmm. just fine. So you uh, did you take any long trips on it here recently? At this stage, I don't do a lot of long stuff. Uh, most of my stuff is shorter. I enjoy the rides up in the mountains, right at Colorado Springs. The mountains aren't very far away. Yeah. Actually, the funnest ride for me is uh, in the evening. I actually head east on the plains for about an hour and then come back into the sunset as it sets over the mountains or sets into the mountains. Kind of very a cool, peaceful, peaceful ride. So, very cool. Yeah. Two years ago, uh, or two summers ago, I guess, um, the guy I ride with, a guy named Mike Doherty, uh, he and I rode the Oklahoma Panhandle. Oh wow! Um, okay. And I'm telling you what, you would be, you'd be absolutely amazed at how much fun that was. But I yeah. mean, you would think it would just be like, wow, like this is, this is boring. This is really, but you know, there's a strip of road out there, and it must be, I don't know, it must be 60 miles long, and sure. there's nothing, nothing at all between like. I don't remember where it is. It's like out by Guyman, like on the other side of Guyman. Sure. Like 60 miles and there was nobody there. There was no traffic on this road coming either direction. We rode on both sides of the road. We played Pac-Man. We wove. (laughs) I mean, it was just like there was – you could stop. You could just stop out there. There was nobody around. We had a blast. And then what was really cool is is at the the tail end, let's see, Guyman – and then we went to – I can't remember the name of that place. It's right at the, the what they call the Black Mesas. And okay. so you come right to the edge of Oklahoma. It's the furthest point. Kenton. Kenton, Oklahoma. Okay. Point, and the road just drops down, and you go into the highest, the highest point of elevation in all of Oklahoma, and it's in the Black Mesas. And it's beautiful. We stopped. Both of us got off our bikes, tore our helmets off. We we're just like, can you freaking believe this? This is the most beautiful. Like it was so – and we got there right at sunset. So it was really incredible. It was really incredible. I've never driven in that area, so I'm not familiar with it at all. 
Oh, man. Longest trip I've taken was a trip with a couple of buddies out to uh, Montana and back, and then I took a trip with another buddy around Lake Michigan, which was a pretty cool trip uh, too. But uh, wow. mo- most of the mostly shorter stuff in recent days here. Too old for that. Uh, staying overnight camping, and I don't do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, we hit the bed and breakfast. Well, yeah, there you go. We find we find something we can put in. You know, four hours, five hours, maybe right. six a day. Well, much right. more than that. Boy. And, yeah. and here's what's bad about me. The vanity, the vanity on my end is ridiculous because, you know, I took this really comfortable sportster with a nice padded seat and I chopped the back end of it off and I put a little right. drag fender on, Springer seat. Okay. Cool, it's a cool look. I put some drag handlebar. I mean, it looks it's terrible to ride. It's absolutely Not terrible. Not comfortable at all, but oh, you're cool. Man. It looks good, though. It looks That's right. So That's good. right. So. That's usually what has to happen with a bike. It uh, has to look good, but it, uh, no one can ride it for more than 20 minutes or so. That's exactly right. But I'm getting to that place now. How old are you, Dave? 61. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. You're in good shape, huh? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm uh, whatever I am, I am, I guess. <laughs> well, I just turned uh, I just turned 41 okay. and I'm to that place now to where the cool part doesn't really matter nearly as much as the comfortable part. <laughs> like, I am way past that point, Jared. I just, uh, I just want to be able to ride and enjoy. So yeah. Uh, like, Man, that bike looks good. There's no way you yeah. can ride that for very long. But so. Jared, I, I used to actually be dripping cool. But uh, there's nothing that drips off me anymore. So I believe it 100. I believe it. You don't have there to convince me at all. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, so do you do you ride with some guys? Uh, Got a couple of guys that I'll ride with in the church. Uh, we've enjoyed some stuff, um, going a few mountain passes and uh, a couple of hour, three or four hour rides at the most. But uh, a lot of times I just ride myself. I just enjoy the solitude. When I told you about that uh, ride in the um, on the plains, there, there's nobody out there. And so it's just me, just like you described in Oklahoma. You're the only one on the road. You just enjoy the scenery. It's a straight ride and just kind of kick back and enjoy it for a couple yeah. hours. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. That's good cool. Stuff. That's yeah. cool. Does your wife ever ride with you? She is not a motorcycle fan, Jared. So uh, she... Uh, she says, uh, come home safe and have fun, and then she uh, lets me go. Yeah, yeah. That's, exactly, that's exactly what my wife says. Um, when I first bought a bike, I got her on. I said, all right, so you know, just hold on. We live down in this little cul-de-sac, this little cul-de-sac. Huh? And uh, I said, just, we're just going to go down, turn around, come back. She said, okay, all right. We almost got up to 20. Almost. <laughs> and she's she's whacking me in the back. She's yeah. like, slow down. Somebody's got to raise the baby. Slow. I'm like, it's t- we're not even. T- t- I'm going. Took her home. Took her home. My Got wife has too much fear. She uh, feels like you can't be that close to that vehicle right over there. It just uh-huh. is too tight for her. And going by a semi, oh, she'd be freaked out. So, uh-huh. yeah, no, it's just, that's just my thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so in... Um, in preparation uh, for talking with you about okay. preaching, um, your name had come up several years ago from Mark Scott and him saying, you know, hey, you know, when Dave Erickson preaches, one of the things that he does is he does this. Or when Dave Erickson preaches, a lot of times what you hear is um, just different examples that he would use you for. I remember when I was in school, I graduated there in 2004. Okay. And um, 
And I just remember your name coming up. Um, when I talked to him on this podcast, uh, I said, can you connect me with some guys or tell me something? He said, Dave Eric. And I was like, of course, I should have freaking known that he was going to say Dave Erickson because, you know, he's always he's always had, you know, a place kind of a place in his heart or something you've done or said that's really kind of um, impacted him. So I started listening uh, more and more of these sermons. And golly, it's like I told you that day on the phone, if if your preaching style was a music genre, you would be a rapper. Just the lyrical <laughs> content of of what you talk about and what you say. its um, It blows my mind. So I've got a weird question for you. Do you know how many words um, on a document you have per sermon or close? Well, um, probably 34 to 3,700 in a 30-minute time period and so uh that the, you you have to move pretty quickly to get through all that obviously yeah. but it's a lot of words uh it's a lot of words in that in that period of time but something yeah. like yeah do you uh do you preach manuscript i do jared uh, the manuscript's always in front of me and i try not to uh make it sound or feel or look like i'm using a, a manuscript if i can but i mean i'm obviously up there um, reading and re- referencing it, turning pages and all that kind of stuff. So I think part of my goal in uh, um, the use of language and uh, the wordsmithing is to help create a little bit of uh, a disappearance of the preacher behind the pulpit and let the words create some picturesque imagination that I don't really see so much of. I'm not evaluating what he's doing up there. I, I don't probably move a lot. I'm not an arm waver a lot, although the arms get involved in this, but I'm not walking around the podium or walking around the stage. It's pretty stationary, uh, fixed, uh, in place, and try to let the word usage do most of the creative imagination there, I suppose. Yeah. It's a very uh, it's a very humble, it's a very humble approach, but it's a very powerful approach, too. Well, I hope so. Uh, I hope it can be influential. Uh, uh, I th- I think the hardest part for preaching in my mind is you're declaring something of such valid um, position. The truth of God is a centerpiece, but it's got to be more than just a cognitive engagement. Somewhere along the line, you got to feel the truth. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the journey of preaching for me, uh, mm-hmm. to be able to take something that is a mental uh, reality that I need to think about in my mind and uh, get it to a place where I actually felt it. I actually encountered it in some way. That sometimes that happens, sometimes that don't. You know how that goes. That's yeah. uh, that's one of the longing and preaching for me. Um, I've got I've got so many questions. Um, okay, you you triggered you triggered a couple there. One of them is uh, when you begin to when you begin to do your sermon study, and, and does it begin to unfold in your mind as you're as you're reading it? Uh, as it comes out, let me ask it. Let me ask it better. The final product, like when you're done with the sermon, did you see it unfolding like that in your head um, as you would read the passage? Um, most recently, um, the Song of Simeon, the one you just you just did on uh, maybe the thirtieth, I think. Right. Um, the the thought that I had was you. Like you were there, like you were there, you were in the temple. You're pointing to the golden candles, uh, the golden candle stands, and and uh, to the altar, 
and to uh, Simeon's uh, wrinkled skin. You're pointing to this stuff. What was so cool is that it was almost as if you were this invisible guy um, and I get to be invisible as well. And I get to just see this stuff and you're the tour guide and you're pointing passionately, I might add, pointing to these things. And, and that's the thing that you don't see very many people do. I really appreciated that a bunch. So I, I guess what I'm asking is when you begin to start, when you begin your sermon study, do you see it unfolding like this in your head, like this cinematic thing? Well, let's uh, let's take that sermon in particular. Um, what you didn't see, you heard the audio version of that, Jared. Uh, visually, there were two podiums up on the platform. One was um, to tell Simeon's story. The other one was to tell Harry's story. Okay? Uh, up on the up on the up on the screen, then the screen had uh, two kind of a two-sided image, uh, Simeon when I was on in front of that podium, and then Harry when I was in front of that podium. And so you'd kind of take a pause between segments. If I, if I had a name for that kind of a sermon, it would be an inductive sermon, but uh, a parallel story sermon. And so somewhere the text has to resonate with the, the deeper places of life. And so trying to create a, a character that is, I mean, Everybody has come across a Harry, but Harry's made up. <laughs> uh, he's he's an imaginative person, but I've met Harry fifty times yeah. in the nursing, and um, and so the the kind of the toggle between the two podiums, uh, telling Harry's story and the Jewish reality of what Mary and Joseph would face, as opposed to here's Harry who has to uh, do something with his time and the anticipation of what it really means to be waiting. Uh, to me, the key words in that text were Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And so uh, where that image came from originally, I'm not really sure. Um, I preached that sermon some time ago and then redid it for this occasion. So when you ask me about the uh, origination of the, the process, that's a little farther in my in my mind, because most of what I was doing with this sermon was regurgitating and rethinking and trying to recreate it in a new in a new setting. And I know the waiting has always been the centerpiece. How do you how do you uh, manifest a human experience where waiting is really the burden of life, which I think it was for Simeon. I think that was the center truth. And uh, all he was waiting for was the highest thing that he could see, and that's the presence of the Messiah. Yeah. If you could find Christ, if you could know Christ, if you could see Christ, touch Christ, hold him in your hands, uh, that would be the, the highest, uh, the pinnacle of the human events for him. So. I, I, I've always seen Simeon as the, uh, as the guy that's, that's standing there, because the prayer is something along the lines of, um, you may release your servant, um, yeah. because, uh, as you promised. Uh, you have let me see this. You can release yourself as you've promised. Like this was a long drawn out conversation that he had had with God about, you know, you got to give me something here. You got to show me this thing. You don't let me. I'm not leaving till you let me see it. Let let I know I'm on the way out, but let me see what's coming. Uh, is that how you see it? Is that how you see this? Well, I do. I think I think there's a longing there. I would liken it to Jacob's experience in his, his wrestling with God. You know, I will not let you go until you bless me. I mean, there's this uh, moment of real dramatic angst. And, uh, you know, the text for Simeon talks about uh, the Holy Spirit had made it known to him. Well, I, I'm, I'm imagining in my in the background someplace a whole bunch of 
prayerful yearnings that was finally answered by the Holy Spirit giving him that confidence. And so I'm creating some imagination behind it, but I think it's real. I think it's there in the text and available to us. But uh, it's kind of like Jacob in that that wrestling match all night long with with the man who put his hip out of place. I mean, I'm just, you know, there's a craving there that you're trying to come up with and uh, help people understand. And it seems like uh, it seems like that's a, I mean, that's kind of the thing that's different with Christianity than any other religion. You know, this this idea that God can be wrestled with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, what's what's an enjoyment to me, uh, Jared, is to to find those places in Scripture where there's that kind of high human drama that really can be felt. Uh, I was reading this morning in Genesis when. Um, when Abraham um, really first um, has the encounter with Ishmael's mother, and uh, she's running away at this point, and uh, Sarai has really condemned her and sent her off, and so Hagar is off on her own. But I'm I'm just overwhelmed by the dramatic nature of God who pursues her in her crisis, finds her in her crisis. She's not part of the promised clan she's not uh, she's not even that nice a lady but god pursues her and uh, the high drama in that is something that i think can be felt so i love the narrative portion of the scripture obviously i i lean toward the narrative portion of the scripture that tell the human story and help people uh comprehend who god is even in their terrible situation and i think that's where the truth can go from a cognitive uh factual uh feature to something that can be dropped down into the chest and you feel it hard on well i'm living there i feel that i can sense that. yeah when i spoke with you on the phone uh, a couple weeks back I, I i said something to you and i was surprised at your response i said you, your sermons move more than they teach and i don't i don't know that that's 100 accurate <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but your response to that was good. I hope so. Yeah. And, and you know, as I as I hung up the phone, I thought to myself, number one, I don't know that I was that what I said was exactly right. it does teach. But then I was more curious about the reason you would say I hope so, because it seems as if if you were the teaching pastor at your church. You should maybe change your title to the moving pastor. <laughs> I don't want to load up the moving van and move to another place. I don't want to say that. <laughs> but, but you know that that is uh, that is my goal in uh, that is my goal in preaching it uh, to come to some place where I'm actually inspired for behavioral change or I'm convicted about who I have been. Uh, there's something in the wrestling of repentance that has brought about a change or a newness. Um, I think that's the challenge of a million people sitting in a million church seats and ha- having done it a million times and come away um, without any uh, new behavioral patterns, new adjustments, new thought processes. Uh, that That's the crisis that I wouldn't want to be in. I, I want to do something that helps move people. And I think that's that's the deepest part of teaching, in my opinion. It's not just an assent to the truth. It's actually say, I, that convicts me so much that I, I'm I'm going to do what's true. That's the hard part, I think, for preaching. Well, it definitely does. Your 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 preaching style definitely does move. I mean, it just uh, in, in more than one way. Uh, I think it I think it moves hearers to a place of action for sure. Uh, 
but one of the things that's interesting to me, I'm a, I'm a movie, I'm a movie buff. I mean, I'm just crazy about films that are done well, you know, films that are just done well. And I notice the things that are in it and I go, Oh no, that it's very much, very much like you're, like you're preaching. And it's interesting. It's interesting that you were at two different pulpits uh, or two different, um, uh, yes, stands or pulpits when you preached that last sermon, because it moved that way um, in in the bouncing back and forth. And I had the thought while I was, I got up way too early this morning. I was on the treadmill and I was listening to that sermon and I was like, this thing moves, I mean, almost perfectly from, I mean, like film, I mean, like film, like I'm listening to it. And then we, then we're back to Harry and I'm like, that was just enough Simeon. And now that was just enough Harry now we're just enough semi and it was, I mean, it moved. It didn't, it wasn't, it was very symmetrical. It didn't, it didn't weigh heavy on either side. Um, one, piece that, one piece that felt unusual about that sermon was the Jenny portion. I actually came away from both podiums and told, cause that was my story at that point. Uh, I came away from both podiums, stood out uh, in, in front of both of them and just talked to the audience about my friend, Jenny mm. and, and hers. And so, uh, that that part of it actually came from a critique in one of, in one of Mark uh, Scott's uh, preaching uh, seminars uh, I had done at Ozark a couple of years ago. I shared that sermon as an inductive parallel story model, and the students uh, uh, the only place they got confused was that Jenny portion. I did the two podium thing, but they got confused because I was still behind the uh, Harry podium. I guess when uh -huh. I did the Jenny thing, I said, you know. That one, that one didn't seem to fit, and they were they were right. Uh, there's a that's part of my story that wasn't wrapped in the imaginary story or the scriptural story. So I needed to move a little bit different than that. And so to try to create that difference, it's, it's fun to be able to preach at this stage of my life, Jared, where some of the things that I have preached I've done before, and I can rework them and do them uh, more ably and with with better depth and with better influence on the audience. And it's it's kind of fun at that stage to to yeah. preach again some of the things I've done before. How often do you preach where you are at Academy? Well, uh, every four or six weeks, you know, so I'm at a I'm at a time when I can I get I really enjoy the time to prepare. Mm. And uh, so I'm doing a lot of other things as well. But uh, the preaching pieces I can, for example, I'm preaching a sermon at the end of uh, January on the book of Numbers, a book sermon on Numbers. And so uh, I haven't spent a lot of time in Numbers. And so I'm uh, cramming, thinking through what that would be. And in a book sermon form, that's a real different kind of an animal as well. It's much easier to take a given pericope of Scripture, yeah, sure. isolate isolate uh, that little bit. But a uh, book sermon... Um, in a series of book sermons, actually, this entire year, our plan is to actually preach uh, 50 weeks uh, book sermons uh, through the whole Bible. So it's a very weird, it's a very weird plan, but it's wow. going to be going to be a challenge. Yeah. To, uh, to not be too broad or too distant and to really bring that home. And so we've uh, <laughs> we've, we've tackled an awkward thing in our preaching team. So we'll uh -huh. see how it goes. Yeah, my struggle is always when I begin to put together a series. <laughs> I get out there and I'm like, I can think of like, you know, four or five different angles on where where this could go on, like you know, four or five different weeks on the same topic. And typically, right out of the gates, like I just, I mean, I hit like three of them in in the first, and I'm, <laughs> then I'm just 
panning for gold after the up. <laughs> sermon after the I got nothing. I'm out of information. I got nothing. There's nothing else to be preached on here. You know, that's always a struggle. So that might be a that might be a better a better option for me that way. <laughs> Just Genesis, Exodus. <laughs> yeah, right. There's plenty there. Yeah, there's no no lack of material for us to use here. It's too wide, however, for us. And this yeah. we'll, we'll see how we can if we can make it personal. Yeah. When did uh when did you begin to realize that your your preaching style um um uh, did you did you realize it did you is it more of a development is it um uh, like this is kind of how your brain works was it more natural uh, can you talk about that jared i i grew up in a preacher's home so um i was here in preaching sunday morning sunday evening and wednesday evening heard it all mm-hmm. the all the time my dad a uh, very pastoral person a good preacher, works hard at it. I uh, just uh, appreciate and admire the ministry that he's had over the years. Uh, probably the most um, style-oriented event in my life was just coming across Fred Craddock's stuff and um, the the depth of scholarship that he has and yet the keen awareness that life story is far deeper to the truth than just the factual information. So. Yeah. A lot of my early shaping in my first ministry was listening to everything I could from Fred Craddock, uh, listening to multiple styles of preaching, uh, listened by tape uh, at that time, you know, the old cassette tapes, I mean, mm-hmm. listening to anybody I could hear and then trying to figure out what form uh, I was going to have. But it was pretty clear to me that uh, the purpose of joining Script, uh, scripture with story was going to be an important part for what I enjoyed doing. So I, I practiced a lot uh, storytelling, uh, practiced a lot wordsmithing, uh, practiced a lot what it was to um, have dramatic inflection in in voice and manner and um, those kind of things. To it's one thing again to to have a story to tell. It's another thing to tell it well, <laughs> and that's always always the challenge. Uh, you don't want to have the greatest truth of God at hand and then put people to sleep as you communicate it. That, that's yeah. the, worst, <laughs> the worst thing to do. So uh, there there is there is drama in the Word of God, and I think that needs to be represented in, in how we approach that. So that style kind of developed early on. Um, it um, probably uh, became it probably took a decade to to get to a what was a well, I think a helpful and a comfortable, meaningful style. Because uh, some of it you really have to work with your ego because um, um, it's a very prideful thing that you're trying to get people's attention in a way that nobody else is trying to get people's attention. And if that works, well, then it becomes a real puff up sort of a deal. So you have to reorient your own spirit into what in the world are you doing. Yeah. It's not about you. This is about the Word of God. And so if you can do this in a way that honors God and honors His Word, then go ahead and do that. But if this is just about somehow telling your story or uh, widening your experience, then uh, God's not going to honor that anyway. You know? yeah. so, uh, th- there was a lot of personal wrestling in that style feature that you're talking about there. And some of the wrestling came from just doing it wrong, having the wrong motive, uh, ego-driven, pride, distortion, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and there's, you know, you know, Jared, there's there's so many facets of pride that can distort our preaching. 
that the Holy Spirit can distance himself from what we do. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't matter how well-crafted the sermon sermon is, if uh, the motivation and the pride of the heart is uh, is not in place, you're humble before the Lord, then it just kind of comes off the edge of the podium and drops to the floor. <laughs> That's yeah. about all the farther it goes. So. When, I, uh, when I spoke with Will Williman, um, must have been a month ago or so, I was I was asking him about um, uh, transparency in the pulpit, and his 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 comment was something along the lines of, "Yeah, yeah, well, your your generation pretty much uh, cured me of that because uh, you, you take a picture." <laughs> I can't remember what else he said, but basically what it came down to. Yeah, well, here's what I tell the kids at Duke. I tell tell them all the time that if um, if you got something interesting in your life. You had some, you know, mystical experience, or maybe you didn't. You didn't grow up good, and and uh, and and, uh, and and you're gonna be preaching in a church. You know, for for God's sake, keep it to yourself. Don't <laughs> share that with anyone. You know, this is much more important than you. Back yourself out of that, which is a really good word for me, um, because a, a lot of the a lot of the the preaching style that that. Um, I think I kind of naturally um, lean to is is pretty it's pretty open, pretty conversational at times. Um, the storytelling bit is is a is a big part for me. I mean, I, I seem to function there better mm-hmm. um, in uh, in the storytelling area. But I can, but I can I can go too far with the transparency with the transparency part. Um, do you find that a struggle for you? or, or I think, I think what you're talking about is an important tendency that uh, is generationally generationally related. Mm-hmm. Uh, transparency and honesty is a significant part for generations following me. Um, but at the same time, it's pretty easy to become the centerpiece of the story. If, uh, um, if God remains the centerpiece and uh, my conviction is what um, has played out in my own life, uh, there are places to tell that story appropriately and it's not necessarily every sunday morning but um again there's a larger story to tell and somehow i as a preacher have to play into it too and so if i never tell my own story in the presence of these people i'm not sure that there's pastoral care that's really happening there Mm -hmm. because they distance themselves from that that very special and unique person up there behind the pulpit that i can't relate to so my my mess uh is plays into the text and honestly if i haven't come to a place in the text where my mess has been confronted i probably don't have a whole lot to say mm-hmm. so I, I don't know that uh we can stay away from it uh, but at the same time uh, i can't be the centerpiece of the story every week either are you or someone you know wanting to make a difference with your life but you're not sure where to start at ozark christian college in joplin missouri They help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service, biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible foundation, and commitment to service prepare students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College. Your mission is out there. Your training starts here. 
And I, that, that gets old sometimes. I, I think uh, sometimes conversationally in some younger preachers that I, I find um, uh, they're way too much in the center of the crystal ball. You know, I mean, I, I want to hear God's story in this. I'm glad that's done something for you, but it's the fifth time I've heard you now. And you're, you're the only, you're the only one that I'm, that I'm hearing this mm-hmm. relate. To. So transparency is an important piece, but again, it, there's a wisdom in all, all the approaches to that. Mm-hmm. If I never tell my story, then um, I'm not relating to the people. Here, so, yeah. yeah. You mentioned that, uh, other than preaching, you've got other things that you've got going on, other things that you're doing that you're that you're working on. What else are you working on? Well, uh, at this stage of my ministry, uh, it's a real privilege to be uh, in this role. Uh, spiritual formation is what I'm attempting mm-hmm. to give guidance to this church family for. And so I spend a lot of time with some extremely talented uh, people, highly gifted, high-capacity folks, Colorado Springs, lots of uh, retired military personnel here. And so people who understand things like commitment and order and function, and obedience and response. And so, so um, they're tremendous leaders. And so it's fun to pour into leaders who are influencing other people. And uh, that's kind of the fun part of ministry is to get deeper in people's story and just help them on their daily walk and uh, what it would mean for uh, them guiding other people in this very difficult life journey. And so I'm much more wrapped up in that. I don't have to... I don't have to uh, grow the vision. I can be a part of the vision. I don't have to grow the function in the organization. Uh, I've done that for several years, but at this stage of my life, that uh, that's not the funnest part for me. Yeah. Uh, being much deeper in people's lives and uh, training leaders, developing people in their own personal walk, that's the fun stuff for me. Mm-hmm. So I get to do that now. Yeah. Do you do much writing? Well, uh, only for sermons. I've uh, I've toyed with the idea of doing some writing I enjoy enjoy writing but when you really get into written material first of all uh, there are so many good authors out there holy cow they're just uh, you know everybody who's wanting to write writes something and so it's like in some sense i feel like uh, okay why do you need another another book out there someplace uh the other part is uh it's extremely challenging uh i've seen what these authors do when they're fulfilling a deadline and mm. And they're crunching. They are just really, it, that's hard work yeah. to churn out the kind of copy that people churn out over long periods of time. So I, I admire people who write and I love good, good writing. Uh, and uh, I would enjoy some of that, but I seem to want to be able to call it off what I want to call it off. <laughs> I, I, I might be just too lazy, Garrett. I might just be too lazy. Yeah, I understand that. I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's funny. Uh, it's the calendar. It's the clock. Those are the ones that for me, it's like, mm, ooh, you, you want money? Okay. If I got it, you can have it. You, you want, you need a place to sleep? Great. Want, you want some time? Oh boy, boy, boy. Me and Jesus is going to have to have a talk about it. That's, that's a hard one. That's a hard one for me. So, yeah, I understand that. Well, time issues are very different for me at this stage of my, uh, my life. Uh, um, it was it uh, up until about four four years ago. Um, those roles of ministry were just really demanding, and so time was always uh, used up. I had four kids, raising four kids, and I always believed that my family was my first congregation. So you better pour into that space 
And so uh, leaving leaving that as the priority time uh, time commitment was a good thing. And uh, I love it that the kids are uh, in the Lord. And so I'm grateful for that kind of a blessing. But uh, you're always just pulling your hair out. And you can see I have none. And so it's all gone. <laughs> just, um, there's, there's nothing that uh, was more precious than the time. So, yeah, I, I get you on that. Yeah. I'm assuming you're raising kids too, and you have yes, your own two little girls. Yeah, two little girls, yeah. and uh, sweet, sweet, smart, uh, just beautiful, good little girls. I mean, there you go, yeah. fifteen and twelve, and yeah. so I mean, good for you. No complaints. No complaints. <laughs> no. Good for you. And I think that probably has a lot to do with who I married. Uh, why my kids are so good. I think that probably. Yeah. A lot more. <laughs> it, is, it is a good thing. It is a good thing when we can marry up. Sure. Oh, is it good? Yeah, it is. There's no shame in that. There's no. You really married out of your league. It's a good thing I did. It's a real good thing I did. So, um, do you find that uh, I was one of the things I noticed when I was listening to your sermons, um, several of them, um, the thought the thought came to mind several different times. With a preaching style like yours. Even even the babies in your congregation are quiet. Now I know that's not always true all the time, but I listen for I listen for the other noises that are going on in the sanctuary, and there is a there is that almost the attention that you can hear, like you can almost hear people hanging on to like where are we going with this? Where are we going with this with this phrase? Or where are we going with this point? And like it is very quiet in the sanctuary when, when I listen to your preaching. Now that could be mics, that could be, but I can hear other things in the, in the background. That was, that was just a, a thing I wanted to, uh, wanted to toss out to you, but where did, what it uh, kind of hinges on is, do you find that the attention span of people is shorter these days uh, than it used to be? Cause people say, that. well, uh, yeah, I think naturally in, in social context, uh, uh, we're soundbite oriented. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I think the the, the challenge uh, for the preacher then is to preach with a pretty wide range. Uh, when I use the word range, I mean a range of volume and word choice, mm. um, pace, uh, movement, um, articulation, uh, whatever it is. I think I think that the way the the range needs to be very as wide as possible from high to low to in between because that helps people participate more with what you're with what you're saying. And so uh, my volume attempts to be both uh, extremely quiet and extremely strong. At a little child uh, after the Song of Simeon sermon said to her mother says Boy, he really gets excited when he preaches, doesn't he, Ma? <laughs> she didn't know if she liked that or not. You know, so uh, it's it's not uh, to me. It's not a conversation. Uh, I, I approach preaching as though this is a presentation, and that's probably a little out of date with what we're seeing for for many preachers. Conversational styles, interaction, as though you're sitting around the kitchen table drinking a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. And many guys are very, very effective with that. That's that's just not my approach. Uh, to, to me, it's very much a presentation, and it's very scripted, very careful, very deliberate, uh, very practiced. <laughs> uh, but again, that may be some old school in me, um, because uh, conversational styles, and many people do it very well. 
communicating their, their range of uh, language and volume and movement and speed and pace uh, would be much more narrow uh, in, in what they're doing, but they seem to handle it well. Okay. That's just not my approach. Uh, I guess a wide range in presentation is important to me. And the range also influences from sermon to sermon. So where this last sermon ended up being a two two podiums and um, kind of a unique uh, approach there that needs to be part of the range. Don't make everyone the same thing. Uh, it's always uh, textual analysis with a uh, handout in the audience that they fill in every time. Let's not do that every, let's not do the same thing every time. You know, give us some range that helps uh, bring some surprise and some creativity, some uncertainty in what they're doing. I think it helps people listen, in my opinion, whether it does or not, I'm not sure, but yeah. I think it helps people listen. Yeah, I would agree. And I wouldn't think that it would be that, that it's that it's old school. Um, I mean, maybe in the sense of we just don't see a lot of it anymore. Uh, but I appreciate I mean, I appreciate that type of preaching because it's kind of one of those like you got me in the boat and I'm not sure where we're going, but I'm in. And I don't know why you're going so fast, but but I know I don't want to get out right now. And so. I can appreciate being in here. It seems like we're we're on a mission. We're going somewhere, and I I, I think that's probably that's probably very much appreciated. Do you do you, you see? You said it, you said it, Jared. You said it very well when you say I'm in the boat with yeah. you. That that's a great image to have um, people participating in wherever we're going, even though we don't know the destination. I think that's the goal. Uh, I don't want the destination to show up until about the end, <laughs> where yeah. we're really gonna where we're really going to arrive, but. They got to be willing to hang along uh, if they don't know where we're going, and that—that that I think is a challenge. And that—that's what Fred Craddock did so well. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not sure where we're going in this, but I'm going where that guy's going. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but enjoy it. Well, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know going fishing with a buddy. You know, I I I enjoy fishing and I love going fishing with my buddies. When I go mm-hmm. fishing with them. Listen, it doesn't really matter if we catch fish, you know, like I'm with you. I trust you. This is going to be a good time. We're going to have a great conversation. We're going to have a weird conversation. We're going to have like this is going to be a really good time for the both of us. Uh, It seems like there's a little bit of um, the congregation has got to learn how to follow a guy who preaches differently. How long have you been at Academy? I've only been here four years. I was at my previous church 21 years where I was a senior pastor preaching every week. Okay. And so uh, it does take a little getting used to uh, in an inductive style or approach. Um, Every now and then I've had people over the years say, uh, um, I'm not sure, was that a sermon or what? what?" (laughs) I think think that was helpful, but I'm not sure what that was. Love it. That's perfect. I I think that's okay because it alerts people to just not the routine that they're used to sitting in this place but as yeah sometimes i have gotten that uh, people say uh, was so was that a sermon or what was what do you call that thing mm-hmm. you know, which, yeah you know. yeah that's good that's really good and and i appreciate it because there <laughs> there's a sense that you know a preaching style like that requires the audience to stay engaged it requires them to stay engaged yeah. because yeah. this thing is going like it is moving at a pretty good click and like you need to stay on board because it's it's interesting and we're going. But if you don't if you don't stay connected, you're going to be lost later. You know, and maybe you get to the end to where it's like, do you have Jesus in your heart? 
okay, you got that part, but you missed the wonderful crescendo, you know, that, that got all the way there. Yeah, I think that's really cool. But it does. It takes a congregation. I battle with this sometimes with rhetorical questions, which I'm going to learn at some point to stop asking. Like I'm gonna <laughs> stop. Because what, what happens is, uh, and maybe it's just where we are. Maybe it's just our, our, our demographic. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful church, wonderful people. But on occasion, these rhetorical questions just seem to be like a normal question. And so it was, so what is the Lord asking of you today? And all of a sudden, this guy from halfway back says, to, to love everyone around me. It's a good one. That's a that's a good one. That's, good. that's the sermon right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like because I love the presentation aspect of it. I love the you know, and I don't want this to sound egotistical at all. And maybe it is, but I, I like having that moment and knowing where we're going and holding on to the sermon. And okay, this is going to a place, and we're going to deliver it. <laughs> the hecklers from the outside, you know, all of a sudden it's kind of like, that's good. We'll put it in the basket. We'll bring it to you. <laughs> Uh, your 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 idea on preaching uh, uh, from three different positions on the stage. There's a comedian. I can't remember his last name. I believe his first name is Neil. Um, it was on Netflix not long ago. Uh, it's a comedian, and he uh, he does he does his bit from three different. Maybe it's called Neil Somebody Three Mics. Okay. Uh, he does it from three different places, and all three. I mean, each of the mics have their own type of joke. Like one is a one-liner. And so he just steps up and he delivers a one-liner. Yeah. One is a storytelling. And I think one is even just himself, just talking about, you know, how jacked up of an individual that, that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I could only make it through, I could only make it through, um, I don't remember, probably 20 minutes of it, maybe. It, it got a little coarse. But I tell you what, on the creative side, brilliant, brilliant. Sure. I, I remember, I remember walking away, going, "That's a good way to do. Like, that's a good, interesting way to do stuff." You know, this guy's dropping one-liners from here, and 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 then maybe maybe we do that a little bit anyway, just in our just in our preparation for a sermon. But I don't think it ever comes out that way very often. You know, I think we do look for those tweetable moments. You know, right, uh, right. that's that's what they call them now. I don't know. They used to call them like a dominant thought, I think, or something like that. But um, but I don't think we ever get to take the exegesis part of that, you know, in the in the the architecture of a sermon and put it up front. I thought that was just a sharp, sharp way of doing things. Um, I don't know how much of it you could tolerate to listen to, but if you get a chance, maybe look it up. And, mm, interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. Hey, um, other than Craddock, what are the guys? What are the guys really really spoke to you, or or, or who's preaching connected with you? Well, if if I had my dream, Jared, um, I would like to blend two guys together, probably Fred Craddock's storytelling uh, brilliance, along with John MacArthur's expositional uh, design. Uh, If I I were going to pull two together and see if I could marry the excellence in both of those, I appreciate uh, those. And they're they're not married often, and those two guys didn't didn't marry them, but that's kind of uh, my goal. Uh, Philip Keller, um, uh, or I'm sorry, Tim Keller and Philip Yancey, um, Dallas Willard, um, 
word usage and word choice, uh, depth of thought. Uh, those those kind of people inspire me a great a great deal. I like some of the old preachers, Vance Havners, and some of the country boys uh, who were kind of back in Fred Craddock's uh, style mm-hmm. a little bit, who would uh, just talk in uh, good old boy uh, language. Uh, a. W. Tozer. Um, yeah. Some of those some of those guys are what really stir me, inspire me, and I find myself trying to mimic some of their phraseology and some of their uh, ability to get to the point. Uh, those would be things that I like to like to mimic, to learn from in the process. Yeah. Um, what was the name you said? Vance. You said Vance ha- Havner. Van- Vance Havner. Havner. Gotcha. Okay. I want to make sure I write that down. Are you a? Uh, he's an old. He's an oldie, but a goodie. Yeah. Are you a uh, a voracious reader? Well, voracious reader, no. Um, I um, early story uh, early on for me in high school. I was ready to graduate from from uh, high school and I had an English professor, English teacher come up to me and said, Erickson, you plan to go to college? I said, well, yeah, I, I think so. You know? He says, uh, you don't read very well. And uh, I said, no, you're right. I don't read very well. He says, if you're going to get anywhere, we got to teach you how to read. And so the last uh, two quarters of my high school this guy put me on a reading machine that taught me how to move from reading individual words across the line and moving my lips when I was doing it to actually seeing phrases and groupings of words. And, and he, he put me on a pretty meticulous training process. But I got to tell you, I, I'm totally indebted to Mr. Pritchard for actually teaching me how to read at that stage of my life because it's not something that I enjoyed doing. I don't know that I still uh, I, I don't enjoy reading uh, but I read uh, deliberately. I'm reading uh, Red, uh, Ed Stetzer's book right now, Age uh, Christians in an Age of Outrage. Right. I'm also reading uh, Eric Metaxas' book uh, on Luther right now, which is a phenomenal piece. And but it take, takes me a while. I gotta I gotta grunt it out and and uh, read uh, read those guys. But I'm just fascinated by um, good good authors who do good work and I enjoy reading that, but I don't just, uh, I, I'm not a voracious, I have a colleague uh, here on the staff who's just a voracious reader. He does. He re- that's the appropriate word for him, yeah. but uh, I'm deliberate as I, as I read and I want to pick good authors and, and read them well, but it's hard work. It's still hard work for me, Jared. It's, it's just reading is hard work for yeah. me. So uh, if I get a lazy bug in me, it'll be two weeks and I haven't read anything other than scripture. You know, and so that's a stupid thing to do. You know, that's certainly an area I could be much better. Mm. Well, listen one of the one of the main one of the main points um, for this podcast is uh, to encourage preachers across across all areas. Um, Man, I've just been. I mean, I've just been blown away at the number of guys who've been so willing. To give me some time, um, you, Willeman, Albert Tate, um, Kyle Adelman. I mean, across the board, like guys who <laughs> they have no business talking to me. They have no business. Like they would just what they should do is they could be like, "Who is this guy? What is this no name podcast?" No, I'm not interested. Just push him aside. I've got stuff to do. But they've been so incredible at 
at um, setting down, having conversations like this. The main goal is um, to get these conversations in front of some other preachers as well. Not just guys, not just guys like you, um, guys that are um, guys that have got a wealth of knowledge and experience and, and years doing this kind of thing. But the other guys, the other guys that are in, you know, like a lot of buddies that I have around, you know, Kansas and, and, and Oklahoma and Missouri, you know, to where they're in rural churches and all they really ever get fed is. Did you hear who's got the bigger mega church? Did you right. how, how many people are in your church? And just that that constant thing that just lands on their desk and every every issue of the new Christian magazine that comes out sure. and it lands on there. And it's it it feels like a numbers thing to them. And and they're on a single staff, you know, church, you know, uh, they've got 70 people. They're the youth minister, the plumber, um, right. Right. all these things. And, and and I, I feel like I feel like guys like that. Um, I feel sorry for them at times because I'm on staff with a with a great guy here, and we've got we've got like this. I mean, I've got time to do this kind of stuff. And it's wonderful. Guys that are out there that that get in that place um, deal with a lot of the pastoral loneliness, a lot of the depression, a lot of the just sometimes I think just tired, just plain tired, and. Yeah. And uh, they get exhausted. What what words of encouragement do you have for for guys that are out there that are that are just? And I'm not suggesting that you're not working hard, but guys that are out there by themselves, they don't have a team, they're not surrounded with a whole lot of support. Um, what words of encouragement do you have for guys in that place? Yeah, yeah, I think your question is uh, a pretty deep and important one, Jared. Uh, um, in, in any facet of ministry, you can feel isolated and alone. But if there's a single passion that I would have for preachers is uh, to get out of the isolation, including in your preaching. Um, several years ago, I, I formed a preaching a collaboration with two other pastors, um, one 40 miles away, one about 15 miles away. And we actually came together on Tuesdays, and for a period of 12 years, we did sermons together, okay? Um, That's an extremely valuable thing to do because it removes the isolation, and I'm not just taking this text and doing it by myself. I just tripled the number of minds who are looking at the issues related to this particular feature. So creativity increases. Um, along with all the ancillary things that go along with that kind of a meeting, because those guys are doing church in their setting too. And they've got elders meetings and they've got family issues. And they, so those kind of conversations are a natural part of what's the the blessing to that. But um, when Ralph and Bill and Dave came together, um, we each used that sermon preparation time in different ways. I used it as the first throw of the text. I wanted those guys to look at me and tell me what are all the curious things in this text, strange words that are there. What's the context here? What's unusual about the author at this time of his life? What are the uh, strange sentence structures? So what kind of a sermon is this? I mean, uh, what are the questions that I'm supposed to ask about this text? And I want you to help me look at that uh, with, uh, with this particular uh, section of scripture. The other guys, when they came, they used the other opinions when they were in the sermon formation part of it. 
when they were had already done their homework, already done their study uh, about the background context, word choice, all those kind of things. And they would say, okay, how do I form this into something that would be meaningful to our people? So they would use the multiple opinions to help shape uh, the idea, the outline. And we were not all the same style of preachers, not at all. Uh, it didn't matter. But the point is, uh, get yourself out of isolation so that preaching can be elevated to this creative place where you're fed by others and you're not stuck when you're five weeks in a row into the same series mm -hmm. and you feel like the series has already run out and you said everything you could say about this series but uh, you're just coming up with your own ideas in a closet someplace and so um, I, I just would encourage uh, regardless of where you are if you're in a, a country church uh, 25 miles from from the next church big deal uh, that's that's a good 25 mile jaunt every Wednesday morning or Thursday morning uh, start and, and honestly that that group of three guys it I was praying about that for nine months before it finally found itself okay praying that God would provide some people that would be key to help me be a better preacher help me think through preaching in a better way so uh, I think that aspect um, joining together in partnership is important. Uh, the other part of that is you have to listen to sermons. You have to listen to sermons, not just read sermons, because that's the information. But I wanted to hear how people said what they were saying. I wanted to hear what passion was behind the words. I wanted to hear the articulation. I wanted to hear the movement, the timing. Um, I wanted to hear how they did that. And that was just a real learning. It's been a learning part, too. Uh, uh, I can mimic things better uh, if I, you know, than than I can create things. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know that I'm a creative uh, genius of any kind, but I synthesize ideas like crazy. <laughs> I've seen, okay, that's an idea that could work, but it's got to be in this form for these people and for my ability. You know, that's what I, that's what I can do. I don't know that I, I'm sure I've not had an original idea since my birth. You know, every, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, but I can synthesize things. And so having the collaborative effort with other people that actually stirs something, startles my mind in a direction. Uh, I think that really refreshes any setting, whether you're in a great setting with a team environment, use use a team to, to produce that sermon. Or if you're not in a, in a setting where you're the only one on staff, find somebody, I don't care if it's a Catholic priest, but pray about it and find somebody that you trust. You have a, somewhat of a common heart for the Lord and uh, marry that thing and marry this sermon process with other people that can help you uh, flesh it out in new and inspiring ways. I think that's a real feeder over time uh, that, that you may not see. Uh, and you will sometimes see that, wow, this sermon just improved because Bill and Ralph poured it. That, that's a bill line right there. <laughs> I could see that. But more than that, it was over the long haul what's your energy level, what's your creativity level, what's your new thought level, all those kind of things. I think that was pretty precious to me. Yeah, that's excellent. That's a really good word. Um, that's, that forces, that forces us to come out of our, come out of our pride a little bit. Um, inviting somebody into our life is one thing, inviting somebody into our pulpit and our study. Ooh, and you start talking to mm -hmm. preachers, that's a little, that's a, we get a little territorial about some of that, Dave. I call, I call that uh, surgery next to the jugular. You have to be careful in those conversations because one slip and you can you can kind of mess that up. But it takes a little time. You know, I said I did that for 12 years. Well, it took us a year to really start feeling pretty comfortable with ourselves. Two years before we actually started letting people look deeper into our lives. 
but you don't get to that two years unless you actually launch it someplace, you know. And so uh, it does have to it does have to start. But that was that was a very meaningful tool in preaching. That's excellent. Well, thank you for that encouragement. I appreciate that. For me personally, um, I'm very uh, I get very territorial about about the preaching the preaching side, um, and not for good reason. Uh, but but I do, and so I need to I need to dive into that a little bit little bit more and there's a lot of great guys around too that i could i could get with so i appreciate that thank you so much well there's so many parts of our life in ministry jared that um just live in that competitive spirit and it take took me a long time in ministry just to get out of that crap you know Mm -hmm. that it's not every minister's meeting is not a competition and quit saying numbers and quit talking about your you know i just hate going to that stuff because that uh it's of no value to anybody and so what kind of relationships can you have where you're actually in a heart to heart around the concept of God's calling in your life, God's calling into preaching, God's assignment for you this week? Uh, that's the kind of conversations I'm, I'm looking for. Um, just just I mean, I, and I, I go to ministers meeting and I hobnob and you do all that kind of stuff just to be nice. And that's OK. But as far as what's going to last long in preaching, um, I got to come out of isolation release my pride to a few people and mm-hmm. let them know that I don't have it all under control. And I actually need their ideas because I don't have the best ideas on the planet. I need to hear what you're thinking. So yeah, that, that that's a pride journey for me too. You know, no doubt about it. Cause I think I'm a better preacher than everybody else. We all think like, okay. Right. Well, until you come across somebody else that says, well, I, I really need to hear that idea. I guess that was really dumb the way I said it. And so mm-hmm. that kind of confronts us in that, but he always does it in relationship. Iron sharpens iron. There's a reason that scripture is in there. Yeah. You don't get sharper unless you come up against something stiff and as good as you are. Okay. Yeah. A little bit like your story to a little boy who's trying to learn how to take care of himself and how to learn about life. You know, okay, you, you better put yourself in a challenging place. So, Man, uh, I tell you what, I just, when I play that, when I play that vision out in my head, where we were, we were actually in Colorado when, uh, and those two kids on that balance beam. I'm not, I'm not kidding, Dave. Like. In my mind, it was just, it was so perfect. It was just so, <laughs> so, I just, I loved it. And the people that were, that I, that I was with, they're looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And I'm clapping. I'm like, yes, like that is so good. They're like, what is, so, do you see this? You never see this. This is so good. I'm so thankful. Well, the cool, the cool part of that is that you actually saw in that the sermon to preach. You know, you have a preacher's mindset. You don't let life go by without uh, filing it into the place where it needs to be communicated. That's the fun part. Yeah. yeah put those need, in. That, need that. Need that. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Dave, thank you so much for this. Okay. And I hope, uh, hope we can do it again sometime if you'd be up for it. Oh, happy to do it, Jared. I'm inspired by what you're doing and grateful for the kind of following that would uh, be serious about preaching. They just kind of want to learn and grow and do this best. This teaches me as well as I hear you and uh, interact with you as well. So it's a blessing to me. Thanks for that. I want to thank you for listening. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, great. But listen, it's more important that you share it. There's so many guys out there that need the encouragement. So spread the love. If you're preaching this week, then know that we are pulling for you and we are praying for you. Also, don't forget to get signed up on the website, thehomilist.com for the exclusive content. It will be emailed to you. Again, thank you for listening, and so long.